0: Welcome to The Perfect Storm, a bi-weekly podcast for business executives and cybersecurity professionals. Industry veterans Michael Markulek and Matthew Webster chat with guests about the latest cyber news, threats, and trends, and how all of it impacts their businesses. Harbor Technology Group is a cybersecurity consulting firm that offers advisory services to the SMB. Harbor believes, by taking a proactive rather than reactive approach to cybersecurity, business leaders can develop a cybersecurity program that will address external requirements, exceed client expectations, and ultimately take their organization to the next level. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry-standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses.
1: Welcome back to another edition of The Perfect Storm, the cybersecurity podcast. It's a beautiful early spring day here outside of Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, joining me today is Mark Fander from CBiz Board and Perlman. Welcome, Mark.
2: Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it.
1: So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, CBiz Borden & Perlman, a uh, little bit about your role there, and then we'll uh, we'll jump into the uh, cyber insurance discussion.
2: Sure. Sure. Well, CBiz Board & Perlman is a part of CBiz. We're a publicly traded financial services firm. Um, my role and what my bailiwick is within Board & Perlman is uh, commercial insurance, property and casualty insurance uh, for middle uh, middle market to upper middle market uh, organizations throughout the country and internationally.
1: Perfect. Perfect. And just you know, for, uh, for the record, you know, we've worked together with Board & Perlman in the past mm-hmm. around some compliance issues and around DFS 500 for the state of New York. So uh, know your business well. Um, What I really wanted to talk about today was, you know, cyber insurance. Um, Five years ago, small and medium-sized businesses, most of them didn't have cyber insurance. I'd go out and speak to CEOs and and my guess was probably less than a third of them had even considered cyber insurance. We've seen that, we've seen that rise. You know, the numbers probably, you know, two thirds now have coverage. Uh, there's still a gap there. Um, and what we've seen from the insurance companies is kind of a change in the market. So if you just want to kind of lay out the cyber insurance market, how it's evolved, how it's evolved for, for you know, CBiz and for your clients.
2: Yeah, uh, the market, uh, like most of the insurance market right now is a, is a bit of a mess. Um, you probably have about 80 different insurers uh, that are writing uh, some sort of a, a cyber standalone mm-hmm. policy. Um, it's a bit of the Wild West, right? There's no, uh, you know, what we, we consider an ISO form um, that's designated for these. It's, it's they're all manuscript forms and they're all different. So um, the devil's in the details. You never know what you're going to end up with. Um, and the market has, um, has responded. When CYBER first came out, again, I used the term Wild West. It was really a, a throw in coverage. We'll give you a million dollars and it's going to be really cheap. And uh, I don't think that they knew, and when they, being the insurance carriers, knew exactly what they had on their hands, um, you know, take that into to, to today's terms. And um, the, the chickens have come home to roost. These inexpensive policies have uh, uh, yielded losses, significant losses for these insurance carriers. Um, and now they are either getting out of the market or putting significant uh, limitations on these policies. Um, and with Significant increases uh, in premiums uh, for said policies. So what you have is you've got clients that are contractually obligated to carry cyber insurance through some of their vendors and business associates that they're doing. And others who just know that it's good risk management, and they're you're buying it for balance sheet protection because their currency is personal identifiable information, or their currency is health information, or, or just customer and contact information. So there's it runs the gamut, um, you know, t- in terms of uh, uh, of who's purchasing this right now.
1: Yeah, couple couple things to unpack there, but let's start with the 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 idea that you know early on cyber insurance was like I say vanilla ice cream. It was one size fit all. It was kind of a rider that got attached to your general policy. And now it's Baskin Robbins, right? Now you get 56, I think the number is 56, different varieties of cyber insurance. You can buy cyber insurance against breach. You can buy it against, you know, insider threat. You can buy it against extortion, right? Basically ransomware is extortion. You can buy extortion insurance. How has that evolved, right? Did clients understand this? Do, Do you see them? kind of moving the levers depending upon their business and, you know, their particular, you know, risk management style.
2: I'm going to say that has evolved. And I think the the clients have gotten wise to what's really uh, required uh, to, to be a part of this. It's a, it's really a part as much more like, more so than any other policy they have. It's really a partnership between the insured, the broker and, and the insurance companies. Um, There are different insuring agreements. There are different sublimits now of things that are covered. You'd mentioned ransomware, and we're all familiar with social engineering. And so for those companies who think, well, I really don't have any personal identifiable information. We don't keep records. We don't have credit cards. It's the the IOT, right? So manufacturing, let's take that as an example. While that used to be a desirable uh, line of business for these cyber carriers, they've actually really tightened. Um, uh, their underwriting, when it comes to manufacturing, it's up there with healthcare and financial services um, in terms of of a challenging risk right now because of the IoT. Most of these manufacturing companies are there are um, technology driven, so all of their machinery, all of their processes, procedures are tied into um, this technology, and if that is shut down, it's a significant uh, cost associated with that. Um, and then just being able to untie all that uh, and get back up and running from a business uh, income, business uh, interruption standpoint is significant. So I think we've got a smarter um, insured group, uh, but I still don't think that they fully understand all of the, the nuances and details. And, and that's why when you're filling out applications for this particular coverage, you've got to have your IT vendor, whether it's in-house, whether it's a third party, Uh, whoever's in charge of that stuff, helping you fill this stuff out because it becomes part of the policy, um, your answers to these, to these set questions.
1: Yeah. And we've seen that, you know, I've seen it with, with our clients that, you know, what used to be a one or two page uh, questionnaire, you know, know, what's your revenue? How many, you know, PII records or or healthcare records do you manage? Do you take credit cards? Um, And you were done. Now it's an eight page questionnaire that's asking about, you know, encryption at rest and service accounts and, and you know, or are, are you are, are you monitoring your DMARC for for email fraud? So it's got a lot more complicated. Has that caused any pushback from, from clients? And, and on the other side, are you seeing cyber insurers start to deny coverage or or not issue coverage because folks don't have things like multi-factor authentication? Of
2: uh, course, well, I think you asked two two questions Yeah, different questions there so let's take the let's take the first one um and and just say uh, are people help me unpack that one again are people are the insureds understanding
1: yeah do 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 the um do the clients the businesses understand that when they fill this out that they're committing to having done it right do i have do i have an incident response policy well sure i do yeah right and then all of a sudden you have a breach there's no written policy um, you know, are we seeing insurers kind of,
2: you know, start to draw yep. hard lines there? Yeah, we are. And I, and, and that reminds me exactly what you had asked me. If just and you use the example of a, a one or two page application and you're 100 percent right. Um, you know, in this market, a complete quality cyber submission is going to be essential. And what does that mean? It's it's not just say, hey, here's a, here's a one or two pages and then come back to me with some questions partial submissions are resulting in declinations right off the bat because what's happening is these insurance carriers are getting higher level of scrutiny on on what they're willing to write and if it's not a complete submission they're just saying we don't even want to mess with this because this this person this broker this insured isn't serious and that's it that's a big issue um you're going to get a uh you're gonna get a cyber application, right? And that's gonna be detailed. It's gonna be eight pages long. And chances are, you're gonna get what's considered a ransomware supplemental application that you're gonna to need to be filled out. So that's the extra level um, of underwriting that's happening. You know, And be aware because some carriers are requesting a short form renewal application. So if you've got a carrier that's already on your risk and they're requesting a short form renewal application, that may not be good enough if you're going to be marketing your risk to the balance of the uh, of the um, uh, the insurance marketplace, so that's a big issue. Um, we're seeing expiring terms, right? So making sure that the limits, the terms, the retentions, the semicolons versus commas are all in there that need to be in there versus expiring. So that's really int- uh, yeah, a big part of it. Um, and then lost details. Here's another big one too. The lost details aren't just we had a loss like. underwriters really want some specific details as to what brought about the loss and what have you done to close that potential loophole on potential future losses where this isn't going to happen again. In other words, we want to write to a zero loss ratio and that's what they're trying to get to is they're really trying to scrutinize these types of things. And then your second question, I think you had mentioned MFA, which I think everyone unfortunately understands what MFA is now over the last year or two. Multi-factor authentication, and it is still a uh, a non-starter if you don't have that. But it's not just MFA, right? So it's not just for remote access. Um, you know, if if the the uh, the RDP has has been not been disabled by the MFA, um, that's going to be required. Um, that there's MFA with access to cloud-based services, uh, remote access to emails, access to backups, all of these must have that multi-factor authentication. And and then the other big one is what we're hearing a lot now is endpoint detection security um, and having a uh, reputable company um, you know, be the ones uh, you know, with preferred vendors, if right. you will. And that's Carbon Black and CrowdStrike and Cisco AMP. So they've got preferred vendors. So it's not just that we do it, it's who are you using and are they on our validated list? These are these are these are higher levels than we've ever had to 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 uh to play with in terms of scrutiny from these underwriters. Yeah, endpoint protection is an interesting one because we moved from
1: antivirus, anti-malware, which was very um, you know, I'll call a lagging kind of technology, right? It was signature based, it required, you know, you know, you know, somebody, something bad to happen, somebody to report it, somebody to develop a signature. And then, you know, when you got, you know, when you got hit with it, you could find it. Now with endpoint detection and response or managed endpoint detection and response, EDR, MDR, you know, these, these systems, as you mentioned, CrowdStrike, Sophos, um, Carbon Black, you know, they're, they're actively looking at machines, right? So I, you know, to me, I spend a lot of time talking about that because it's a little bit of a game changer in terms of cybersecurity. And, and because of that, you're seeing insurers, you know, you know, now require it, not just, you know, recommend it, but actually require it. So.
2: Um, yeah. And it becomes, it becomes a non-starter, right? If you don't have any of these things and, and you know, un- unfortunately I, I can keep going on daily backups, air gapped, encrypted, yep. they, all these things that you require to be offline. And, um, you know, timely installation of patches. And not only that we closed a port, but that the ports are, you know, not reopened or if they are reopened, that they're closed each and every time, because they're going to do these analysis on you. And the, the challenge really becomes for those insureds that are required to cover to, to have this coverage um, to, to the tune of sometimes 10 to 20 million dollars, depending on the industry, is becoming more and more challenging. And um, to go back to your vendor and say, I can't get to the 10 million, I can get to five. Um, but part of the reason I can't get to 10 is because I don't have X, Y, Z and the things, right. That's a, that's a whole different conversation as opposed to the market's just a mess. Well, and, and you're seeing, so you're seeing that side
1: of it, which is putting more pressure on the businesses to, you know, bring their cybersecurity profile up, you know, their posture Mm -hmm. up. Um, the other side of it is we've also seen, um, you know, premiums double Right, more than double in some cases uh, year over year, and, and you know I, I'm not quite sure we see an end to that because I'm not quite sure we have, you know, actuarial data that that is you know that that still makes sense, right? You know we're we're still seeing big losses, especially in places like the public sector, right? You know, municipalities, school districts are just getting hammered, um, both on the cyber side, right, from the criminals. And now they're facing, you know, you know, triple digit, you know, kind of increases in premiums. So I'm not sure where that, that ball ends, but I I don't see it ending anytime soon. I don't know if you've got an opinion.
2: No, I mean, what we're telling when we're talking to our clients and and prospects is you can expect anywhere from 25 to hundred percent in terms of rate increase. And now that's with a higher level of underwriting scrutiny, right? For your practices and exclusions in certain cyber incidents, right? So cyber warfare, ransomware. I mean, another, you know, two big ones. We already know that many of these uh, things like social engineering, you know, we're sublimited on these policies now. And and that's really some of the big risks for, for some of these medium-sized businesses is that ransomware and is that uh, uh, social engineering. Right. So we, we try to find coverage through the crime policy and not just the cyber policy. So there's there's things that can be done, but you need a especially if this is a coverage you absolutely need as, an, as a, in an industry. You need to be more engaged, you know, with the broker to, to be able to make sure that everyone understands along the continuum what you're doing, because there are the opportunity for gaps in the programs. If I'm paying 100 percent more and I'm getting less coverage, you know, I better make sure that, uh, you know, I'm not having any claims or if I do that, you know, we're really buttoned up. Right,
1: so you know, is there a, is there an education going on with the the brokerage, the the firms? Um, you know, it, it used to be a couple of years ago, as we we talked about, it used to be just be a rider that we attached to our general liability policies. You know, as you know, as Cbiz Board and Perlman really focused on, you know, providing that kind of expertise because small and medium sized businesses don't have it. Most of them don't have a chief information security officer. You mentioned an IT guy helping out, but an IT guy can't help you determine limits, can't help you determine whether you've got risk management strategies in place. Your IT guy is not going to tell you whether you're in compliance with, you know, state and federal regulations, right? So sure. it's become a much more difficult process. And, and, you know, where do you see your role or C business role in advising your clients?
2: Yeah, like, like every single line of coverage, we always aim to, to create as much transparency around the process and around the need um, you know, lift the kimono, if you will, on all of our, uh, you know, insureds and what they're doing. So, spending a lot of time helping um, our uh, our insureds understand what the risks are, um, and then just overlaying that versus uh, what they're doing in terms of their business. So, as I, I, I mentioned, you know, if it's a healthcare account, you know, working the our, our way down those the the potential. Uh, uh, dangerous areas that a healthcare account might have or a financial service. And now we're starting to have these same types of manufacturing uh, clients with those kinds of questions, right? So uh, the term bricking, right? So where a, a, a piece of uh, equipment is, is, is rendered inoperable because of a, uh, uh, a ransomware or, or malware or some kind of an attack, um, generally not covered, right? So, so really just spending time, understanding the business, understanding how this coverage works, unfortunately not every broker understands the cyber uh we fortunately not myself but have some really super smart people in our organization uh that understand the ins and outs and that's their bailiwick they spend all their time uh in this area so so yeah we we have to educate our clients and and frankly the the, the clients they need it and they want it and uh they understand the, the process behind it and why it's important
1: to, to pivot a little bit one of the things that i've been talking to clients our clients about is kind of minimizing risk, right? We talked about PII, we talked about you know, healthcare records, you know, credit card records, if you're processing credit cards, whatever it happens to be. But you know, we, you know, I was working with clients that had retained employee information, you know, banking information, and social security number for employees that weren't there, right? You know, I, you know, I think there's a real opportunity for businesses to kind of look at what they're keeping. Right, this idea that you know, the, you know we have a digital attic, and we can keep just pushing data into it, um, while, while in some ways you'd like to go back and look at emails from ten years ago, um, but if it includes PII, maybe it's time to get rid of them. Um, so, hey, have you talked to any of your clients about that, or talked to you know about minimizing their footprint, minimizing their risk, you know, reducing that uh, that cyber liability?
2: Yes, uh, I'm actually working on one of my. Uh, I to say it's one of my larger cyber clients right now, um, in terms of that's that's one of their their biggest spends. Is is their uh, uh, technically it's a techy you know, policy, uh, but the record retention policy. You know, we're really honing in and the uh, because we know the underwriters are with the record retention policy and understanding. You know, what is the policy, um, and how is the, how are these things protected. Um, and are they necessary? And if they're not necessary, let's get rid of them, right? Um, it's like anything else. I can't, I can't lose control every single thing or we just wouldn't open our doors on a daily basis. But the low hanging fruit, right? So, you know, I'm not going to send, uh, you know, take a construction account. I'm not going to send anybody up without fall protection, right? Because that's it's absolutely necessary. But we got to get up on that roof or we got to get up on that scaffold. and we got to get up on that structure uh, so that we can earn our, our livings and, and keep moving forward. Um, but we're not going to do it without the, you know, the right protection in place. And, and cyber is just no different, but the, the record retention policies is, is something that the carriers are hitting on very, very heavily this year. And if we don't need it, let's get rid of it.
1: Right. Yeah. that def- definitely a direction that we, we see things going. And, mm-hmm. and I spend a lot of time with, you know, small and medium sized businesses really talking about risk management um, and, and cyber, you know, information security has always been outside of that risk management process. Most of them do a good job with financial risk and, you know, operational risk. Um, but, you know, now information technology and the reliance on information technology and and the, the cyber threat has has driven us, you know, back into the, the boardroom, back at a higher level. Um, you know, so it's interesting. I, I think there's an education process that's going on right now. Um,
2: so, yeah. Well, speaking of education, I mean, that just leads right into you and I both know. Um, the biggest issue is, is still the uh, the end user. It's it's still the employee, right? Um, and and if we're not educating, and this is another thing that carriers want to make sure that there is routine employee training yep. um, to prevent cybercrime, you know? And uh, they've got to educate employees about the threats, the preventative tactics. And, uh, you know, we all do it. We go through tests, right? Uh, you know, you get an email and you're not sure, you click a link and you get an email back saying, hey, that was a test and you failed right? So, so it's still human error is the biggest issue in this industry and you can't overtrain and you can't spend enough time talking about it. Um, I can promise you it is an expensive uh, uh, road to go down um, when someone clicks the wrong link and ransomware or malware or, um, you know, sort of any of the things that you don't want to happen happen because forensically, what has to happen is it's, it's time consuming. The ROI, the the soft costs associated with people's time um, really just builds up very, very quickly.
1: Yeah, it does, and and it's it's interesting because you know train as you said ninety percent of all cyber incidents, according to Verizon, you know data breach report, are, are caused by a human doing something wrong, mm-hmm. clicking on something, downloading something, going to a website they shouldn't be at. If that's the case, why don't we train the employees? Um, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't allow somebody to go out and, and operate on a roof or get behind the wheel of a truck or operate a piece of manufacturing equipment without training. And yet we, we hand our employees, you know, $3,000 laptops access to all of our data. And we say, go. Um, And and it just, it, it baffles me that we don't have better training. And I'll I'll give you my training spiel, but you know, training, training is not PowerPoint and donuts once a year, you know, training needs to be relevant it needs to be engaging and it needs to be frequent. If you're not training at least once a month, you know your employees aren't listening. Um, so, no, I, you're you are you
2: soapbox on you're that. You're beating the right drum, and 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 you should because you gave the the number. I've seen it eighty percent, ninety percent, yeah. And uh, it, that just tells me that um, most of this is preventable. Um, um, you remember the days somebody would leave a a, a set of keys with a with a uh, USB, uh, and people would say, "Oh, somebody lost their keys." Let me plug this in. I might find out who it is, or a CD-ROM. You remember the CD-ROMs? They used to be save family vacation pictures, and somebody would put it in their laptop, and boom, everything's released. So these 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 bad actors have gotten smarter. They're smarter than you. They're smarter than me. And they're just, and they have the time. This is a thirty three billion dollar industry. It's in their best interest to keep staying ahead of everybody. Yeah, they're they're staying
1: ahead of us. And at the end of the day, and I and I, I you know I speak on cybersecurity. So you know one of the jokes I tell is. You know, who fell for the Nigerian Prince, you know, 20 years ago, right? right. And everybody laughs at me and I'm like, no, that's exactly what business email compromise is today. It just doesn't look like the Nigerian Prince. It looks like the landlord that you're renting the building from. And next thing you know, three, four months of, 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 you know, lease or rental payments are offshored and you're never going to see them again. So Uh, it's a constant battle for small and medium sized businesses. I think, you know, cyber insurance is a great way to mitigate the risk, but you need to understand what you're buying. It's not a, it's not a silver bullet. Um, it's an important part of a risk management strategy. Um, and you need to, you know, go into it with both eyes open because uh, it can be expensive and you want to make sure that you've got the right kinds of coverage. I'll give you a couple minutes to kind of give, you know, any final thoughts that you have on the, on the topic.
2: Yeah, I, I would say t- two quick things. Trends for 2023. Uh nation-state supply chain threats we already know supply chain is stressed pretty dramatically um so uh keep that in mind organizations uh with their vulnerabilities that they may already have on the supply chain and not just your direct supply chain uh where you fit in the supply chain continuum if you're a part of a part right so it's that's a big thing again we talked about the significant underwriting standards being tightened um uh, make sure that you're You're getting out ahead 120 days uh, on this particular coverage uh, so that things are buttoned up Um, and then regulations, lots of regulations coming out. I know Virginia in 2021 and I think Colorado um, both basically tighten that legislation that emulates that that California Consumer Privacy Act. So that's two more states. And and again, remember, you don't have to have employees in those states to be bound uh, by those particular regulations. elevated ransomware concerns. And then I'd say heightened business email compromise risks. That's the, the emails are so vulnerable and people are so busy and stressed and we all working from home or working from somewhere else. And, and you're just clicking to try and get work done. So these scams are the biggest way for uh, these bad actors to get to your employees. So uh, making sure that that training is, is there and uh, you know, find that, that relationship, that broker or that it group um, that really has your best interests at heart and is willing to uh, to educate you and spend the time. If it's if you got somebody just saying they're going to save you a couple bucks, uh, penny wise, pound foolish. Find somebody you can partner with and uh, somebody who's really got your best interest at heart.
1: Right, great advice, Mark. So I got Mark Vander from uh, Cbiz Board and Perlman. Uh, I've been talking a little bit about cyber insurance. You know, we're we're Harbor Technology Group, and I we, I, we you know every one of our podcasts ends with me asking the guest, um, you know, kind of give us your favorite harbor, your favorite beach location. Uh, you know that 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 secluded spot, that one particular harbor. Uh, we mentioned Jimmy harbor. Buffett yeah. in the uh, yeah. when we were doing a little intro, but you know, yeah. where's that one particular harbor for you? And uh, is there a cold beer
2: I can get while I'm there? <laughs> There's a few, and if you if you meet me there, uh, we, my wife and son and I, we spend a lot of time in Cape May. Uh, we love Cape May, and uh, uh, we 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 always uh, make sure that uh, at some point when we're in Cape May, we head over to Sea View Inn for some wings. Uh, and some cold beers over at Seaview. So we really enjoy going to to, uh, to uh, Cape May and spending time there. And uh, a little gem I'll tell everybody, if you go to Atlantic City, underneath the Tropicana is a little hole in the wall called Tony's Baltimore Grill, and it is the best pizza and, and meatballs. And you'll probably either sit down next to a, a, a casino executive, and on the other side, you, you'll be one of Atlantic City's um, you know finest uh, uh, citizens, and uh, the conversations are great and the beer is cold and the the food is tremendous. So those are my two spots and they're both down the Jersey shore. So uh,
1: that, that, that is absolutely perfect. Especially given that the, uh, the weather seems to be breaking here in Jersey and we'll uh, we'll be back down the shore soon. Mark, thank you for your time today. Thanks for uh, hopping on with us. Um, look forward to kind of continuing the conversation and look forward to working together in
2: the future. Yeah, Michael, thanks, thank you for what you do to protect your clients and, uh, you know, really make sure that the, you know, that they are uh, in the best place they can be. So kudos to you and to uh, Harvard Technology Group. So thank you for having me. Great. Thank you.
0: Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry-standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. We would also like to thank Tom Marshall for the original music. Yes, that Tom Marshall from Fish fame. Harbor's portfolio of services is designed to meet the cybersecurity needs of small and medium enterprises. We offer a range of services from Cyber Risk Advisory to VCSO Consulting to meet specific security requirements without putting a strain on your technology budget. If you like what you heard here, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. We release new podcasts every other week and are available on Spotify and Apple. You can reach us through our website if you have additional questions or suggest a great harbor we should mention on our next show.